0: Good morning, church. Happy Valentine's Day. As a disclaimer, don't allow any married person prepare you because Jesus is the ultimate Valentine. Amen. Amen. Okay, today's Bible reading is from Galatians 1, verses 1 to 5. When I'm done, I will say this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying thanks be to God. Galatians 1, 1 to 5. Paul, an apostle Sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Thank you BC for that reading and the reminder. Good morning everyone. Good morning. How you guys are? You guys are better than first service, but I find that we need to do this like two times to kind of get back in the groove. I don't know if it's me, I don't know if it's you. Um, but let's, let's try again. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's fantastic. Thank you so much. Human beings are creatures of habit. We get into the rhythm of doing certain things. Um, and then, you know, even when the circumstances change, we don't change. We keep doing stuff that we were doing. Um, so I think of a couple of examples. Just one, even from my from my growing up and my own personal experiences. So, if you think Nigeria is bad now, like Nigeria, there was a time Nigeria was really bad. Um, and so, like under Abacha in, in the nineties, um, things weren't working well. People weren't driving good cars by and large. And so, one of the Copy mechanisms for having a bad car is that you park on slopes so that when your car doesn't start, you can, you know, free the car and then the car will eventually be running before it kicks in and then you learn how to remove your leg, remove your leg, remove your leg, you know, so that the car can start. And so for a lot of people, even though, like, things got better and um, they could buy better cars, just that mentality of parking on a slope, parking on a high place, so that your car can free, you know. A lot of people still kept on doing that. Another one is um, ironing. So like Nepal always messes up, you know. And so as Nigerians, one of the things we do is like, man, when there's light, Nepal, ah, everybody, we have to go iron, go iron for the week so that you won't be disappointed. Now you hear that, you hear that abroad there's no power failure. But like, at least for me, just in my mind, like it's not, it's not true, it's not possible. So I remember the first time I, you know, traveled abroad to um, see my uncle in the UK. Yes, they said they didn't use to take lights before, Abby, but I just got here today. I don't know if it's today that I got here that it will start. <laughs> so I started ironing. Like, just the idea that there will be light tomorrow. No, no, it doesn't make sense. It might happen today. I don't want to be caught on our so let me keep, you know, keep ironing, keep being ready, be prepared like the Boy Scouts. Or a final one. Small gen life versus big gen life. So when you first marry, you know you buy a 3kVA gen or a 2kVA gen that can only carry light and fan. (laughs) Don't turn on AC. Don't turn on electric cooker. Don't turn on iron, you know. So like when daddy wants to go and start the gen, hey, everybody off the the iron, off this one, off that one. (laughs) And so we run. Everybody turns everything off and then start the gen. But then gen is shaking, boo, 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 Oh, the AC in my room is on. So you quickly go and turn it off. But then things get better. Daddy buys an 11 kVA gen, and so like the gen can carry everything. But like it seems like, no, we used to turn off the iron, turn off the AC. No, everybody turn it off. So even though the circumstances have changed, because we are creatures of habit, we get into that rhythm, and we keep on doing the things that we've always done even though things have improved and even though things have gotten better. And I think the great philosopher, one of the best philosophers of all time, Bob Marley, captures this well in his song um, called Redemption Song. It's actually one of the songs that's going to be on his final album just before he dies. And so he writes a song called Redemption Song, and he says there, Old pirates, yes, they rob I, took I from the... So I to the merchant ships, minutes after they took I from the bottomless pit. But my hand was made strong by the hand of the Almighty. We forward in this generation triumphantly. And then he says in the chorus, won't you help me sing these songs of freedom? All I ever have, redemption songs, redemption songs. And then he goes on in the second verse to say, Emancipate yourselves from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our minds. Have no fear of atomic energy. And then it goes on and on. And you see, Bob Mali is talking there about the fact that we need a kind of emancipation. We need a kind of redemption that doesn't just save us in the past, but something that continues even in the present. He talks there about the improvements that. People have seen it, the treatment of blacks, in the emancipation of slaves in the US and around the world, the, the end of slave trade. But we, even today, we need something else. And then he says, you need a kind of emancipation in your mind that you have to do by yourself. I think Bob Marley is right and wrong. Bob Marley is right in that we do need and emancipation. We need a kind of deliverance. We need something that actually rescues us and carries on to the present time. But he's wrong that we can do that by ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot think better thoughts out of our current slavery. We need something else to be done to us. We need a redemption that can be done to us by someone else, but that continues to carry in the present time. And that is Paul's argument in this letter to the Galatians. He says, you do need an emancipation, you do need a redemption, but it's not something you can do by yourself. It's something that Christ alone does. And so by looking to Christ, by being joined to Christ, that is the only way that you can be free. But if you turn away from Christ, you are going back into slavery. And so he says in Galatians 2.16 that we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. You see, the Galatian Christians were Christians who were um, of different ethnicities scattered across a province. It's pretty much like how we would say Lagos is a no-man's land right now. We would say, oh, like you have... you have Igbos, you have Ibibios, you have Thieves, you have different ethnicities, all in this one big place. But then they had false teachers who had infiltrated their midst and were saying, you guys can keep on being who you are, but you need to add something to this, your salvation. You need to add some Jewish practices. Keep keeping the law of Moses so that your faith in Christ can actually be strong and real. Notice... They did not tell these people to stop believing in Christ. They only told them that they needed to supplement their faith in Christ. They needed to add something to their faith in Christ. I know it reminds me of a couple of us. Or OK, maybe not a couple of us, but Nigerians generally, we like diets. We like diets, anything diets. Ah. Especially after Christmas, in January and February, we love diets. So you've gotten on a diet, and then they tell you, don't take <laughs> So this word, it is fizies. In first service, they were hearing something else. I'm not saying feces, it's fizies, fizzy drinks. So they told you, don't take fizzies. don't take fizzy drinks. <laughs> <laughs> I think I should just keep saying fizzy drinks. Don't take fizzy drinks because water is too water. Water is healthy. Water is good for you. It doesn't have any calorific content, right? So you, you, that's what you should take. And then take vegetables as well. Take a lot of those. But then, yay, you know, yay. Good Nigerian, you like sweet things. You like things that will make you know, your, your mouth, you, know, you enjoy salivate. So you say, okay, I'm not going to take the fizzy drinks. I'm just going to add a little to the water so that the water can be spiced. The water can have you know, this tingly feeling in my mouth. So you add to the water. Notice what you have done. You are not taking fizzy drinks any longer, but you're actually not taking water. You are taking something else. Even though there's water inside, by adding an extra component to it, you have changed the the composition of that thing. And friends, we corrupt the gospel not only by denying it, not only by replacing it even, but also by adding to it. And this is what Paul is saying here, that if you add to the gospel, you are effectively subtracting from the gospel because by adding to the gospel, you are denying the power inherent in the gospel. And so he's saying here, like, guys, Galatians, there is only one gospel. There is only one gospel that is sufficient. There's only one gospel that should not be added to. And if you add to it, you are going back into slavery. And he says, no, 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 don't go back into slavery. You are no longer slaves. You are children of God. And so we titled the series, No Longer Slaves. And today we'll be seeing that it's the purity of the gospel that is actually motivating Paul as he's writing his letter. It's, I want these guys to see the beauty of this thing, the sufficiency of this gospel in and of itself without any additions to it. And that's what's driving Paul as he's writing. In fact, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 11, Paul says that he, he, he's writing or he's autographing this letter with very large letters. And what he means by that is not just that, oh, I'm writing a very big, with a very big um, lettering. It's that back in the day, people used to um, employ scribes to write very neat, very official, very nicely packaged letter and then they send it. And Paul is saying, guys, I'm not into packaging. I'm not into presenting something nice for you to see. I want you to see with all urgency, without sugarcoating this thing, that this gospel is real, it's sufficient, and it's vital. And Paul is writing with a purpose. And so today we'll be we titled this sermon, um, Sent by Purpose, and we see three things there in these five verses. We see one, the sending, two, the means, and three, the purpose. The sending, the means of the purpose, the means of the sending rather, and the purpose. Let's pray. Lord, we sang at the beginning, open our eyes, we want to see Jesus. Lord, we really want to see Jesus. Like the people who come in John 12 and say to the disciples, please, sir, we want to see Jesus. Lord, we are coming, Lord, as eager people, Lord, needing to see you. We don't want to see Emmanuel. We don't even want to see Paul. Lord, we want to see Christ. So help us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, one, descending. Nigerian parents are a unique species, especially the mothers. They have the ability to communicate in subtle and not so subtle ways. So what do I mean? Subtle ways. They have the ability to be looking in this direction. And you're at the back. And the mother says, what are you doing there? And like, how did you even like, how did you even see me here when you're not even facing me? Or the, one, the, the way they say sentences, a whole page of words with their eyes. You go out together. This actually happened to me with a couple of friends when I was growing up. So we went out. We had come from their house. And then we went somewhere else to see some other people. And then they presented us with pineapple. And man, we all wanted to eat. You know, and they had caught it. It was really looking appealing, very nice. We're going for it, but then just one look. And the be mom C was like, touch it and your life will finish. <laughs> and we all just re- ah, okay, okay, okay. Thank you, man. <laughs> Well, Okay, we won't take it again. So Nigerian parents communicate in, in subtle ways, but they communicate also in not so subtle ways. Like when you go to the market with your parents as a child growing up, and everybody's carrying things out from the car. And then you yeah, we with mom C in the kitchen. You say, Mommy, where should I put <laughs> where should I put this thing? Put it on my my head, head. but as a good Nigerian child, you know that that means put it anywhere else but my head. So they do that. Or the way they call our names. My father has never, never, ever called me Emmanuel. He calls me Iman, not Ima. Iman. The day my father calls me Emmanuel, there's trouble. There's trouble. And some of you is like that. Like. They say they call you like when everything is going well. How do you feel? When everything is going well, it's TJ. TJ. But when everything is going south, it's TJ Sunimi. They call the full thing. Or the worst one is when they reintroduce themselves to you. You know, like this one, like life has finished. Everything, like, let me just die here. And so, like, you've done something. Your mom just starts saying, Hey, I am your mother. I carried you for nine months. I was had sleepless nights. You just know, hey, life has finished. Life has ended. And this is something of what Paul is doing here. Look at verse 1. Paul says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him up from the dead. Now, it may not be obvious to us, but this is a very strange way to start a letter. It's a strange way to start a letter because, actually, the people Paul is writing to, the Galatians knew this story. Paul planted these churches. In Acts chapter 13, Paul and his friend Barnabas, on their first missionary journey, they go to um, a part of the world then, and they plant churches in Lystra, in Iconium, in Derby, in all these places. These are the Galatian churches. So they actually know Paul's story. But Paul feels he needs to tell them the story again. And why is Paul doing that? You see, what is at the root of this Galatian controversy is that the gospel was under assault. But it wasn't just that the gospel was under assault. It was the gospel that Paul himself presented that was under assault. And so a way to discredit a message is not just to discredit the message or the contents of the message. It's also, discredit, it's also to discredit the messenger as well. So you know, a, a number of people, when, when news, newspaper vendors or newspaper um, stations were still a thing, what do Nigerian men, what, what would they do? They will go and read the headlines. And then somebody just starts just saying, hey, this is, this is how these politicians do. In fact, one of them was saying last week, and then it goes on, da, 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 da. And then you say, ah, Oga, you that you are here in Lagos, I know your house in Nokokomaiko there. How do you know what's happening in Asorok? And then you discredit the message. You discredit what he is saying because you can discredit the messenger. And that's what they are doing to Paul here. And so Paul has to defend his authority here. In fact, the first two chapters, Paul dedicates to defending his, his contact with Christ, his apostolic authority, so that these people can see that he's not just someone who has come up with these things. He's someone who has actually, who has actually authority to deliver this message. And so in verse 1, Paul describes himself as an apostle. And the, the word from which we get the apostle is a word that means sent. But it's not just like when your mom tells you to go and buy something down the road or to bring something for her when you're coming to see her. It is like sending in an official capacity. It is commissioning. It's like how we have ambassadors um, in our countries now. And then when they are going, they carry a letter to the countries where they, they go. In an official capacity, they are arriving, they're representing the authority of the foreign government that sent them. And that's what Paul is doing here. But you see, he actually raises the stakes further. He tells us how his apostleship did not come about. And so he says in verse 1 that it was not from man or nor by a man. And what he means there by saying not by man is that it wasn't, and not from man rather, is that this message did not come from a human authority. It wasn't that somebody actually came up with something and then says okay Paul, go and deliver this message. But also it was that He wasn't sent by men. And what Paul means there is that his commissioning, his sending as an apostle was not something that human beings did to him, but rather something that was done to him by non-human beings. And this is important because in the Bible, we see that there are two classes of apostles. The people who were commissioned by by Christ himself, like the 11 disciples, excluding Judas Iscariot, like the 11 disciples. Then there were those who were commissioned by human beings or by the churches. So, we, so for instance, in Acts chapter 13, um, the guys in the church there are praying. The leaders there are praying. And then the Holy Spirit sends a message and says, set apart from me Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them in Acts 13. Too. And then it says in Acts 13 verse 3 that they prayed for them and then they sent them out. That's the same word as Apostle, They apostled them as, though, as it were. And so it was human beings. So when Paul says it was human beings, it was not human beings that sent me, he's saying that it wasn't, I'm not in the same class of people like people who were sent out by the church. But then he tells us how his apostleship did come about. And so in that same verse 1 he says, I wasn't sent by men, I wasn't sent from men, but I was sent by Jesus Christ. And Paul is adamant that he's not in the second group of apostles, the people who were just sent. And he's saying, even though, yes, the church in Antioch prayed for Barnabas and I, and they sent us out, it wasn't the church in Antioch that, you know, came up with that calling. It was Jesus Christ himself. I met the risen Christ who called me as an apostle and sent me out. And it was on account of that initial sending that this church then sends me out. And so Paul is saying that on account of that, This message I'm presenting to you is the original gospel. It's the authentic gospel. In fact, you cannot mess with it. And if you mess with it, you are not just messing with what Paul has delivered to you. You are messing with what Christ himself is saying to you. To amend this gospel, to flout it, is to amend the message of Christ himself. And you see, friends, this is massively, massively important for us to hear this morning. First, We need to know that there's a unique role that the Lord Jesus has given to the apostles that he caused to found the church. You see, the Bible over and over again talks about um, the apostles of the Lamb, something called the apostles of the Lamb. And that group is the 11 apostles who 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 were called by Christ while he was still alive, and Paul, who was called by Christ after he has died but was resurrected and ascended. And we see that these people have such a crucial and foundational role that they are distinct from any other cast of people who are sent out in church history. And so in Ephesians 2.20, Paul himself writing says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And there he's talking about the apostles in the New Testament and the prophets, the people God sent out in the Old Testament. In Revelation 21.14, he's saying that the, 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 the New Jerusalem is a city that has whose walls has at its at, um, at base 12 foundations. And on the foundations are written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he's saying that these people are so crucial, so crucial to the formation of the church. They have a unique role that no human being, while they were alive, or since they have been dead, can replace them. In fact, in Acts chapter 2 verse 42, while they were still alive, one of the markers of being a Christian was that they gathered together and they devoted themselves, he says, to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and to the meeting together. And friends, this is important for us to hear. It was important for the Galatians to hear, but it's also important for us to hear because we are like the Galatians. We are torn in different directions by people claiming to be men of God. People claiming to have some kind of vision, some kind of revelation from from God that somehow improves upon what God has revealed to us in these pages. And so we can, based on what Paul is saying here, that no, 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 there isn't a message that is meant to be improved upon. There isn't a a 2.0 version or 3.0 version of Christianity that is coming somewhere down the line. There is a faith that has been delivered once and for all to all the saints. So we don't mess with the gospel, we don't amend the gospel, we don't add to it, we don't improve on it somehow, we stick to it because this is what God has given us for all time. So friends, you can test, you can test those who call themselves men of God and they somehow have improved revelation or different revelation from what God has revealed in his word. You don't need to have some kind of theological degree. You don't need to have gone to seminary. You don't even need to understand Hebrew and Greek. All you need to do is just, does this match up with what God has revealed in his word? We're told about certain Christians in a place called Berea, and when they heard the word of God, they'll go back and examine it and look at it like, does this make sense in light of how Christ has revealed himself? And that is the same thing God calls us to do, friends. But you see, this is also why at city church and many other churches around this country and around the world, that we take seriously something called expository preaching. Expository preaching is us going into the text and saying, God has communicated himself here. What has God said, and how can we seek to faithfully apply it here today? Why do we spend 45 minutes looking at two, three, four, five verses of the Bible when we can be talking about something else? It is because, like the children of Israel, who God told when they were in the, in, in the wilderness that pick this piece of manna and it will last you for six days, we believe that God has given us manna that even though it was written 2,000 years ago is still as fresh and as relevant as always. And so we don't come here to interrogate the text. Rather, we have the text interrogate us. We have the text read us as it were. We have God's word you know, dissecting our lives. But you see, friends, secondly, it means that if we know this, it should also change how we relate to the Bible. It should change how we relate with God's word. You see, it's common to hear people say things like, yeah, Jesus was the founder of Christianity, so it's only the things that Jesus said that actually, you know, that you are meant to abide by. Those are the things that I'm meant to build my life on. So they call themselves red-letter Christians. And by saying that, they're saying it's only the things Jesus said that I'm actually going to listen to A parentation. So like, ah, man, the Sermon on the Mount, I love that. That's how I'm going to build my life. But there are two problems with that. First is none of us have ever even heard Christ. None of us have ever actually met with Christ and had him instruct us. Even the Sermon on the Mount was something written for us by people who were there. But you see, secondly, is that if what Paul is saying here is true, if Paul's apostleship was not just an apostleship that came from other human beings, but came from Christ himself, reading Paul's words while reading Christ's words to us. You know, sometimes we do a pick and choose kind of thing. We do, I don't like this part, I, I, I like these other parts. Or like, no, it's Paul that somehow got it twisted, but then these other parts are correct. No, we can't do that. We can't choose one portion of the New Testament or one portion of the Bible and say, no, that's the authentic part, and then we discard the rest. It's either we discard everything or we believe everything. Amen. So I was, um, I, um, I was listening listening into a conversation the, um, over the weekend um, on an app called Clubhouse. If anyone knows Clubhouse, we we the select few in Clubhouse we know ourselves, okay. Um, no, Clubhouse is an app that I don't know. Is it in beta state um, testing or what? I don't know. Anyway, not everyone not everyone can be in it, so you you kind of have to be part of the elect. Somebody invites you and then you join. Anyway, I'm not there, but someone was on it and I was I I was I was listening. <laughs> And then this, there's, there's a Christian group on it. So the way it works is like you, it's not chatting. It's actually audio, audio messages. So you can like, it's like audio conference and you can listen in on what other people are saying. So there's a Christian group there, Bible-believing, well, they say they are Bible-believing um, people. And one of the things they were saying was, oh, like, yeah, like Jesus is really, you know, the, the one that we, um, we follow. And uh, like the Bible, is the, all these other parts are the words of men, and so we need the Holy Spirit to actually illuminate to us the things that are not even there. It's a massive problem. If what Paul is saying is true, we cannot believe that. You see, the Holy Spirit does not exist to somehow improve upon what the Bible has said. The Holy Spirit exists to show us what the Bible has said so that we can actually see who Christ is. And so, you see, we can't say, oh, this is Paul's opinion, and so, like, I'm moving on to something else. No. All of this is God's word. All of this is God's opinion to us. So can I ask you, how do you treat the Bible? Are you just speaking the parts you like, and somehow you're ignoring the parts that make you uncomfortable, the parts you kind of dislike? Or are you someone who, you know, you select some parts and then you use that to kind of curse the people that you don't like and then you ignore the part that tells you to love those who hate you? The Bible is God's word and all of it is relevant to us. But you see, Paul doesn't just talk about his apostolic commissioning. He also talks about the apostolic community. And so he says in verse 2, he says, He's writing this as an apostle, but he says, and all the brothers and sisters with me. And this is incredible. This is amazing. Why? Because Paul is this super talented guy. Paul is this guy who has been, who has had the Lord Jesus Christ appear to him and commission him in ministry. And yet, Paul knows that he cannot be who God has called him to be. He cannot do what God has called him to do without the help of other brothers and sisters in Christ. Isn't it amazing, friends, that God does not commit the work of salvation, the work of ministry to a talented few? God does not say, oh, yes, um, just give me Hercules and Iron Man and Superman and Wonder Woman and all these other people. These are the people that will actually drive the message of the gospel. No, God picks people like you and I, people who are frail, people who are broken, people who have issues, people who 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 still have remaining sin and are looking to him to help us. And it is through us that God determines to carry the message of the gospel to the world. Oh, friends, you may not be called like the Apostle Paul. You are not called like the Apostle Paul. You may not have had the reason Christ has sent to you, but by God, you are called to go into the world. You are called as an emissary of Christ, of the reason Christ, to go into the world in all these spheres that God has placed you to bring his light and his rule to bear. Your life is not ordinary. You're not just walking through life, just going through the motions. No, you are someone who has a divine call, a divine commissioning to do all the things that God has called you to do. And so that is one of the reasons why we gather together like this. We gather together as an apostolic community to be fed, to be nourished, to to see ourselves again as who God has called us to be so that we can be deployed into the world for all the mission and all the places God has called us to. But you see, it's not just for Sundays. We're not just sent out on Sundays. We are sent out for all of life. So maybe you're a homeschooling mom or a stay-at-home mom, and it seems like, ah, well, yeah, this is just a good thing to do so that we can save some money and so that the kids can have you know, special attention before they grow up. And in the daily grind of things, where you're picking you know, a boxer that is in that corner, and then you're picking the, after the kids, and you're telling them to keep quiet. It seems like, what am I doing with my life? But if this is true, and it is true that you are called as part of the apostolic community to go into the world, your parenting is not just an ordinary thing. You are being used as God's ambassador in your home to raise up a generation of people like Timothy's mother who know and follow Christ. Or maybe you are someone who you are you're, you're in a workspace that is really difficult. You're not getting remunerated like you want to, and it just seems like, man, I won't steal, I can't steal, but let me just do these things to keep body and soul together. You see, God has called you there, not just to make ends meet for yourself, not just to be able to be an example, even, of honesty and hard work in the space he has called you. He has called you ultimately as one who is serving under the Lord Christ. And out of that hard work and all the things you are doing, God wants you to be someone who brings his rule and reign to bear in the space you are. Maybe you're in management at your company and things are really going well for you. Or maybe you're not even in management and it just seems like this is a great job. I will keep it for as long as I'm alive. I want to make sure all my kids are secure. God hasn't just called you there for that reason. God has called you to be a voice in spaces where decisions are going to be made. God has called you to be someone who actually encourages someone else who is working, who is, who is disturbed, someone who is going through depression, someone who is dealing with marriage issues, all the gamut of things that we face in life. God has called you to be able to speak into those things as well. Friends, our lives are not ordinary someone has said, and I agree, that there are no unsent Christians as though some of us are called into the ministry and others are not. There are no unsent Christians. There are only disobedient ones. All of us are called into the ministry that God has called us to. Amen. Amen. But you see, the second thing we see here is the means through which this is accomplished. And so in verses 1... And 3 to 5, we see Paul saying that he's not sent by human beings, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. And he says, grace and peace comes to us from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. And here we see a couple of things. In verse 1, he says that Jesus Christ gave himself. Jesus Christ was raised, rather, by God. Oh, so if Jesus Christ was raised by God, it means Jesus Christ died. But why did Jesus Christ die? Verse 4, Jesus Christ died to rescue us from the present evil age. Oh, really? So what does that accomplish? Verse 3, Jesus Christ actually gives us grace and peace from God. We are reconciled to God on the basis of that. Oh, wow, are we the only ones who benefit from this transaction? No, verse 5, God gets all the glory in the end. And what Paul is showing us here, is that the means through which we are deployed, the means through which both the apostle Paul is deployed, and the means through which people like you and I, the apostolic community are deployed, is the one true, the same gospel. Now, I say, George, we say that the gospel is the good news, that the incarnate, crucified Savior, Jesus Christ, is the risen Lord and the impending judge of the world. The gospel is the good news of what God has accomplished in the birth, the life, the death, the, as- the resurrection, and the ascension of Christ to reconcile broken sinners like you and I to himself. And Paul is saying this is how we are deployed. This is how we are sent. But you see, good news only makes sense if there is bad news. And we modern people, we 21st century 2021 Legosians, we don't like bad news. We don't like bad things. We don't like to think about bad news. But like, bad news is actually good. Because bad news helps us realize our need for the good news. I was listening to a podcast yesterday, and a person was saying how that it was bad that a friend of theirs realized they had cancer. But it was good because... Her knowing that she had cancer, her hearing the bad news of the cancer helped her realize she needed the good news of healing. You see, the bad news is implicit in verses 3 and 4. Verse 4 says that we were in our sins. But it's not just that we were in our sins. It says we were enslaved to our sins. We are enslaved to the present evil age. And then when he talks about the present evil age, he's not just talking about the year we are living in. He's talking about the system of the world, the system controlled, ruled over by Satan that causes us to kind of do the bad things that we do. You see, friends, outside of Christ's deliverance, outside of Christ, we sin. We are not sinners because we sin. Rather, we sin because we are sinners. Our sinful actions are the fruit of a sinful nature. And no amount of papering over, no amount of covering over the things that we do by our good works actually changes that. We need something else to be done to us. And Paul presenting this message, we see in the Bible that our sin is not just bad things that we do. Our sin is ultimately an assault against God. And this is one of the fundamental differences between Christianity and other religions. It is not just that we sin. It is not even just that we are bad people. It is ultimately that we are rebelling against God. You see, sin sometimes has horizontal implications. You cheat on your wife or your boyfriend and the relationship ends. Or you embezzle money at work and you are found out and you are sacked. But you see, ultimately, all sin, even though it may have horizontal implications, is a vertical assault against God. All sin is an assault against an infinitely holy God that is only worthy of being punished by an infinitely eternal punishment. And if you're here, you are not a Christian maybe even know Christian lingo. You've been around Christian circles for a while. You've kind of hung around the Christian space long enough to be Christianized, but your heart has not been regenerated. You have not seen yourself as you truly are and have not committed yourself to the risen Christ. Can I say to you, please don't see it as just hellfire and brimstone kind of thing. See it rather as a God who is lovingly reaching out to you and asking you to come back home to be reconciled to him. And friends, that's the good news. That's the good news. The good news is that because we were dead in our sins, because we're in rebellion against God, there was no way for us to be able to walk our way back to God. God had to reach out and save us. And so the penalty of sin is defeated in the cross of Christ. He takes the punishment that we rightfully deserve. And he gives us his own life. You see, we're like people who are drowning in a river, in a pool that cannot save themselves. They need someone else to stretch their hands down into the river and bring them out. And that is what God does to us in the cross of Christ. But you see, it's not just that God saves us. It's not even that God just takes our sins away. It is also that the benefits that, that are due Christ are actually given to us as well. So all of a sudden we are made children of God. All of a sudden we are no longer paupers but princes. All of a sudden we're no longer slaves, but God's adopted children. All of the debt we have and owe to God have been cancelled, and rather, God has credited Christ's righteousness to us. But it gets even better than that. God gives us His grace. He replaces all of our striving, all of our toil, all of our anxiety. He gives us his grace and he gives us his peace. The war, the rebellion, the enmity against God is ended and we become children of God who are not living outside the palace but people who are now living in the palace, running around like the heirs of God that we are, enjoying God's fatherliness to us. But Paul gives us one more beautiful thing in verse 4. Look at the end of verse 4. He says, All of this was according to the will of our God and Father. And you see, this is important because it shows us that the work of our salvation was not just Jesus Christ kind of running along, doing his own thing, and then somehow trying to get the other members of the Trinity to agree. No, it was the work of our triune God, eternally loving and pursuing us so I love this quote by a man called Phil Reichen, who is the president of an American university, what we call a vice chancellor. And he says this about this concept. He says, the cross had been in God's mind from all eternity. Thus, it demonstrates the love of God as well as the love of Christ. There could be no conflict within the Trinity, as if a loving son had to rescue us from an angry father. On the contrary, the willingness of the son was in response to the father's will. The Father does not love us because the Son died for us. Rather, the Son died for us because the Father loves us. The cross had its origin in the Father's heart. Isn't that just beautiful news, friends? The Father does not love us because the Son died for us. Rather, the Son died for us because the Father loves us. Friends, you are infinitely loved. You may not get any vows gifts today. Or you may even hate the gift that you are given. I don't even know which is worse. Is it not getting or hating the one that you get? But you are infinitely loved, friends. Your vow is not going to bleed for you, but this one bled for you. This one gave his life for you. And you see, that is why at City Church, we describe ourselves as a gospel-centered urban church. We, we say we don't just want to be people who proclaim the gospel. We even think about it, we even know it, and tell others to do it. No, no, we want the gospel to shape everything about us. I know someone who had um, a defective lung, like the lungs were packing up, and then they were waiting and hoping to get in the queue for a lung transplant. Then eventually, somehow, miraculously, it happened. She got. A transplant from someone, I don't know, we don't know what happened to the person because she never actually met the person. I know one of the things she did was to write a letter to the unknown donor who gave their lung for hers so that she can actually be someone with a functional lung. If that person begins to define their lives around the fact that they have been given a new lung, would you say it's too much? No, you wouldn't say it's too much. In fact, you would say, yes, that's the appropriate response. The nature of the gift, the immensity of the gift that you have been given determines how you respond to it. And what we, what we say by being gospel-centered it is this is everything. God has given us everything. And we are responding in the same measure that God has given us. If God gave us his life, how couldn't we give ours as well? But you see also our usefulness as an apostolic community is to the extent that we actually meditate on this gospel. Many times we are powerless in our going as an apostolic community or in the places where we are because we don't realize the power in the gospel. We want to do other things, we want to rely on other methods, we want to think crafty ways of reaching people, of convincing people, of doing different things. Maybe at work or even parenting your children. And what we see here is that this gospel is the dynamite through which God brings down the walls of Satan and the fortresses of the, and the plans of the enemy. But friends, it also gives us confidence that this message does not rely on the giftedness of our leaders or the kind of people who are actually leading us. No, this gospel depends not on gifted beings, but on an infinitely glorious God who actually brings to pass what he has promised. And so, yes, our leaders will fail us, and we should mourn that, we should hold them accountable when that happens, but ultimately we can be confident. Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And, Friends, when he's saying that, he's not just saying, oh, he's going to try, he's going to fight hard. No, he's saying, no, this is something that only has one option of being done. Friends, the means through which we are sent is the gospel. And this gospel is powerful. We are not a Christian here. Can I urge you this morning, please stop trying to walk your way to God. Have you ever seen Maybe you are a parent or an older person. And you see children fighting, fighting their parents. Have you seen Have you seen one of those funny scenes? When you tell a child to do something, and child is angry. No, I'll beat you. I'll beat you, Daddy. No, no, no. <laughs> and you know that this is utter folly because it can't be done. Like there is no way in the world a two-year-old is going to beat beat up a thirty-year-old. But you know, sometimes that is how we are when we are trying to walk our way up to God. We are trying to earn God's God's mercy, God's grace. It has been given to us in Christ and that's the only way to accept it. And God stands with his arms wide open and asking all of us to come. If you're not a Christian, God is opening his arms to you this morning and asking you, come. Stop trying to come to me. Come. But lastly, we see here a purpose, or rather the purpose. You see, my son just became three um, years old in January. And um, he has a new habit that is always amusing, sometimes annoying. And what is this habit? It's asking why. Why? Daddy, why? Sit down, JD. Why? Because it's good for you. Why? Because I said so. Why? Like he's just always asking why, and that is what Paul wants us to ask as we read this. Why are we sent? Why are we the apostolic community? Why does God give us the gospel? And Paul wants us to see that there is a purpose behind what God is doing. But you see, when we hear purpose, we usually think in terms of like um, all these purpose seminars. In secondary school, like I, I did, I did, I did those purpose seminars. I know Dami did because he was always looking at me. <laughs> and at these purpose seminars, what do they do? They give you a questionnaire, and they tell you like go and answer all these questions, and then you discover your purpose. Like you, all you just need to find purpose just sit down and think and look inside, and then you find purpose. It's problematic. It's wrong. Because it assumes that purpose is something that can be found by looking inside. But instead, what the Bible shows us is that purpose is something that is found by looking outside. It's something that is found outside of us. Think about the people who you think have purposeful lives. Usually see two things about them. One, their purpose is always other-centered, but their purpose is also always incarnational. Other-centered and incarnational. What do I mean? They are not thinking of ultimately of How do I become a rich man? How do I pull down Jeff Bezos from the um, richest man in the world list? And how do I climb up? No, they are thinking, how can I serve the people around me? How can I make life better for the other people around me? But then they realize that if I'm going to do that well, I have to be incarnational. I have to enter in to these people's feelings so that I can understand what they are going through and how I can best serve and help them. Well, we see that here in this text. We see that that is exactly what Jesus Christ does. Look at verse 4. Paul says that Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins. Jesus Christ becomes other-centered. He's not thinking about his own privileges, we're told in Philippians 2. He doesn't think about his own privileges. He doesn't think about his own um, um, glory. He doesn't think about all of those things. He's looking at us and he's saying, how can I rescue these people? I want to give my life for these people. But you see, he also becomes incarnational. He looks at us and he says, no, no, I'm not just going to speak down from above. I'm actually going to become one of them. I'm going to feel the things that they feel. I'm going to feel their pains and their sorrows so that I can, through that, deliver them. But then he says in verse 5 that Jesus Christ does it, not even ultimately for us. Jesus Christ does it so that God can get the glory. And you see, when God calls us, when God sends us out as an apostolic community, he is doing that ultimately so that we don't just go around even just saying the gospel, but so that ultimately God gets the glory that is due him. What is the greatest problem of our world? What is the greatest problem of our lives? It is that we are glory thieves. Remember the song I sang at the beginning? Bob Marley, he said, old pirates, yes they robbed and sold I to the merchant ships and even though Bob wasn't thinking about that, it is true that we are people who pirate the glory of God and we attribute it to ourselves we are stealing the glory that is ultimately due God and so by doing all the other things we do we are stealing God's glory and that is ultimately what is wrong with us friends our problem is not just that we do bad things. Our problem is not even just that we have bad habits. Our problem is not even ultimately that we sin We've against the people around us. Our problem ultimately is that we are stealing God's glory, the glory that is due to God. And so in Romans 1.23, Paul, this same Paul says, describing sin, he says, our problem is that we exchange the glory of God and took on the glory of man-made things. Remember, if God is an infinitely holy God, if God is an infinitely glorious God, who is worthy of all glory and who has been assaulted, whose glory has been pirated, what ought to be done to these pirates? It is that these pirates ought to burn eternally. These pirates ought to be disparaged eternally. These pirates ought to have their sentence be eternal so that it can be commensurate with the eternal glory of an eternally glorious God. What does Jesus do? Jesus Christ leaves his own glory, steps down from his own glory, passes through this life, and then he dies for us as an offering to an eternally glorious God so that we can become people who live eternally glorious lives to an eternally glorious God. And so all of a sudden, we are no longer glory thieves. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says that, Because Christ has died for us, because Christ has changed our gaze, we can now become people who in eating and drinking and in everything that we do, we do it all to the glory of God. Friends, that is why we exist ultimately. That is why City Church exists. That is why God has given you your job. That is why God has commissioned you into the world. It is so that you can be a testament to this eternally glorious God. It is not just so that as our musicians do when they win awards. I say, oh, to God be the glory. No, no, no. It is so that your life becomes a testament that you don't have to say, but people see that this person is living for something else. Not their glory, but an eternally glorious God. This is why we are sent, friends. This is why we exist. This is why God has commissioned us. You are not called to be like the Apostle Paul. You are not called even with all his giftings. He has a unique role along with all the other apostles, but you are called and you are sent, you are deployed with the message.
0: Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.